All right, lawyer talk. Here we are again. The COVID-19 saga continues. Uh, I am hunkered in the bunker yet again here at 511 Studio C, uh, all alone, keeping my social distance uh, at least as much as possible. Uh, I have on the monitor, on the audio, Dr. Pulaski yet again. We may be joined by Jared soon. Uh, all of us keeping our distance and doing this uh, remotely. Uh, so we are doing our part. Uh, Doc, how are you doing today? Uh, doing all right. You know, a lot of people, I'm getting a lot of feedback on this and people are sort of enjoying the uh, no nonsense uh, information that you, you've been giving us. So I think on this one, man, we're just going to keep on chugging and uh, talk about this virus and, and any new news and research that uh, and reading that you've done. Uh, but let me just start with this one. You sent me a text the other night and it, it I, I saw one term, 6,000 deaths a day or 6,000 cases a day, I think cases. you said. Yeah, not deaths. 6,000 cases a day, which is... Uh, what Ohio is predicting right now. And yeah, it, that's, that, that was pretty, uh, you know, that, that was a lot to hear because the, you know, the reporter asking, um, uh, Dr. Acton, you know, he's like 6,000 new cases each day. And she goes, yes, each day. And they've done epidemiologic modeling uh, that was verified by University of Oxford in, in England. So they've had other people look at this modeling and, uh, you know, they were predicting that the peak of the outbreak will actually be around May 1st for Ohio. And during that peak, they'll be having 6,000 new cases per day. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I guess now, is there good news in that once it peaks, then there has to be a other side of that curve where it can start to slough off or, you know, is it, is it just going to keep on going? Yeah. Well, it, it'll, I mean, I, I, you don't know how long that peak will last, but yeah, it'll start regressing. And, you know, it's not that surprising because New York is racing towards its peak and it's getting, you know, thousands of new cases per day. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, in one sense, when I when I hear six thousand cases, I mean, uh, well, I mean, there's two things. I mean, I hear six thousand cases, and those are just six thousand cases that we're going to know about, um, right. and that's based on on studies that we know about now. And then, on the other hand, I mean, not all those people are going to get so deathly ill that they need to be hospitalized, and not all those people are going to be so ill that uh, certainly they're not all going to die. And you know, hopefully most of those or the majority are going to be sort of on the mild symptom side. Uh, and then that gives me some hope, like on the other end, well, they're not going to get it again. Right. And um, I think by May 1st, uh, it'll be a lot easier and there'll be more tests available. So they'll be able to test people with minor symptoms, you know, so you're, we'll be able to catch a greater amount of the people that have it. But again, the asymptomatic and the non-sick people, they're, they're not going to get tested. You know, the only way to do that is to just make a test kit for everyone. <laughs> yeah, send it to everybody. Everybody gets one in their mailbox uh, tomorrow and, and you right. test. And then, you know, and then you got to get – what is the reliability of the testing, I mean, to begin with? And that's the part of the problem of rushing to things. You, you know, you get false positives and, and false negatives. And – so there's different ways to test. I know we touched upon this in earlier shows, but um, the best, I guess the most reliable is the, uh, to test for the presence of 
the viral RNA, you know, and that's, that's where you get the, cause then you're looking for the specific gene sequence that, that make that, that virus has. And, you know, you get that through the, those nasal swabs. Um, and the problem with RNA, there's a couple things. It's single-stranded RNA, so it's very unstable. It's susceptible to be degraded. That, that's one problem. Um, the other problem is you need an amplification step called, uh, you know, PCR, polymerase chain reaction. That's what you do if you get small quantities of nucleic acids. You basically replicate it in a machine so it's big enough to, you know, there's enough of it to read, and that takes time. So another phase, another type of test, and this would be. All right, hold on. I think we got, uh, uh, let, let me stop you there. I think we got Jared joining us. Jared, can you hear me? You got me? Can you hear me? Yeah, now we got you. Um, now we have, uh, we now have Jared joining us uh, again, keeping his social distance from his bunker out in his, uh, his storage garage. And, uh, you know, Jared, uh, Doc was just sort of going into the effectiveness of the testing, and I'm not going to miss, I don't even want to begin to describe the uh, the RNA and PCR descriptions that he was giving us. But go ahead. I think you were just talking about how sort of un, how long the process of replication Doc takes right. to, uh, to create enough to test. Right. That's why it takes a, a while for results to get back is because you're dealing with RNA, so you got to make sure you know, it doesn't degrade and then you got to amplify it, you know, and that takes time. Um, so the next phase of testing would be more of a protein base. And that's where you're looking for the presence of the viral proteins themselves. Cause then you, then you, you have some type of an indicator molecule that attaches to the the viral protein and changes color and the, the testing can, can test that. It's kind of like a, a home pregnancy test. You know, it looks for a beta HCG, which, you know, determines the presence of, uh, you know, a pregnancy. And also moving to serologic where uh, blood is drawn and you're looking for either viral proteins or antibodies that someone has raised against it, against the virus. Yeah, now that's the one the, that, I, that I've heard. That's one we've talked about. You, you look for what you would have if you've already fought it. Right, and, and the problem with that is you, you miss uh, early infections. You know, it takes a while for the body to generate antibodies against the virus. So you could be negative, but be in the early uh, uh, stages of the uh, infection. So each test, you know, sort of has its uh, pluses and minuses. And to really get an accurate test or reading, you probably got to do multiple tests on one person. And the problem is right now, we're having enough trouble getting one test uh, available to the population. And, and do you have any insight or knowledge or have you done research on what the, what the status is on when that stuff might be coming? That's hard to say. Uh, there's, you know, there's that ramp up period, um, making it available, FDA clearance. I, I think a lot of that stuff's going to start being expedited, you know, especially as other states start looking like New York. Yeah. So what is the situation in New York? I mean, it seems like they're just sort of off the hook right now. I mean, is it, is it 
it, I mean, can we expect that, or is you is New York unique just because of density? Um, you know, based on what the the uh, Dr. Acton said in her press conference, it sounds like New York is just first in line for this. Gotcha. You know, and and I've been following Italy because Italy seems to be what United States is heading towards as well, as far as the number of cases. Gotcha. And, and you, you know, know I, I guess I've been, I've been, go ahead. I'm sorry. And that's just, that's based on available data. I mean, it might flatten, um, you know, with all, cause all of the shutdown, um, but that's just based on the, you know, the current data. So those modelings, if you looked at her graphs, it was kind of blurry because there are all these different, you know, potential transmission rates feeding into that. Yeah. And, you know, like where Jared is, for instance, uh, it, it, he, is, he lives in the country and he's not going to be on top of everybody. And anybody locked in their house or, or hiding in their house out there, I, unless they're getting it by, uh, by mail or something, I, I can't imagine that uh, their risks of infection are going to be real high, or at least transmission of it are going to be high if they're doing what they're supposed to do, I suppose. Uh, right. and, and, and I was going to ask you that. Is it like I, I opened my mail today? I was careful. I, I got the mail from the mailman. I uh, I sorted it and I washed my hands immediately. And uh, Yeah, well, the hand washing's key because uh, it, it really has to be aerosolized and or you handle it and then rub your eyes or nose or touch your mouth or something. So if you're washing your hands, that, that should be fine. Gotcha. Um, you know, they say the, that the virus can live, you know, like a day on steel or a day on, or a couple days on steel and, um, uh, you know, a couple. How long on glass? Uh, glass. I didn't see the data on that, but you got to remember. My store, I got it yeah. steamed off. <laughs> yeah, see what he, what Jared's showing us is uh, now. Now, Doc, you don't know this, but uh, Jared and I uh, sat down here a couple Saturdays ago and talked about uh, ways that we could keep our respective workplaces clean and safe. And and he ordered these industrial steam cleaning devices. These devices mm-hmm. that one of them is just a uh, it just is pressurized steam. Uh, the other is pressurized steam with the possibility of a recirculation. It'll know it'll vacuum it back up and or injection of uh, some uh, cleaner or uh, disinfectant or something. I mean, is that. Uh, and the and the blue UV cleaner as well on there. Yeah. It's got blue UV. On. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on that device. I'm out here right now. It's coming shipped in and uh, I'm waiting for the freight to show up. So I, I keep listening and hoping they show up with the big machine. I got to go over to Advanced Vapor uh, Johnstown today and talk to them about that. I'm going to go to all the stores there. I mean, what I did at my store is I went outside of the store from everything that a hand could touch, from our Coke machine to the, you know, the chairs to the cases to the counters, anything that a hand's touched before, I went over and, and I steam cleaned it. Now, that was coming out there at uh, 300 degrees, and uh, I think I was using about, uh, it was like 100 PSI. So... And then that way it cleans it, wipes it down. And that's just the whole thing on this. It's like you said, people live all over the place. Why did it take West Virginia for so long? Well, because they're not as, as 
confined is New York City. New York City, everybody's on top of everybody. Well, and they right. got travel to and from every yeah. day. So, you know, if you're coming from China, you're landing there probably. Yeah, I, I did a um, like a per capita rate. And, um, you know, West Virginia, Kentucky, Kansas, Iowa, these were the, you know, really low cases because not only is the population density um, you know, not as big as New York, there's not a lot of international travel as well. I mean, New York and Newark have like three major international uh, airports right there. And, yeah, and then and, how many flights and, per hour, you know, it's like just right, dozens and yeah. dozens, yeah. And even CVG, which is Cincinnati's main airport, even though it's in Kentucky, most of the people landing there live in Ohio. So they just get in their car and leave. It's not like they're um, landing and, and hanging out. So, and, you know, that's why the Kentucky numbers have been pretty low too. And then Michigan's sort of been high. And, and I even noted that uh, a police captain up in Michigan and the whole, and some of the people in the police department in Detroit uh, were actually, uh, one of them died and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of sick people up there. And I yeah, suspect. Wayne, yeah. Wayne County, which, you know, where Detroit is, um, that's the, most populated part of Michigan. They also get a lot of international travel because of the car industry. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and chemical industry. So, you know, a major, I haven't checked in a while, but at, at one point, like over half the cases of in Michigan were basically Detroit and Wayne County. Man. And I, it, it's, it, I guess it makes sense. If you could just look at a, a United States map you could probably uh, judge how red hot it gets on cases just by uh, you could probably guess by the airports or, or what the industry is. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the per cap, like New York is ahead, not only in total cases, but per capita, it's uh, you know, it's getting, you know, and that video that we saw about Italy about a week, week and a half ago, that hospital in Italy, there's they were saying the same things in New York city, man, you know, one of, one of the doctors they interviewed said when he was a medical student, he did medicine abroad and was in Africa during the Ebola epidemic. And he said, he never felt worried because there's enough, you know, masks and all this personal protective equipment. He goes, he goes, it's not like that here where he goes, we're burning. We have to ration our, our masks and our, gloves and <laughs> i mean they're reusing stuff they're reusing masks yeah. and washing them i mean is that doable i mean I, I assume it is it is the problem is those viruses are so small that when you start washing them it breaks down the integrity this the integrity of the mask oh, so it becomes yeah. a little more porous i mean it's and maybe it's you could wash bad. you after you wash it you got to wear two right exactly <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. And what is the, it, you know, I guess it just shows our reliance on foreign products now and we can't get the stuff that we need. It, it seems almost insane that in the United States of America, we don't have enough medical masks. Yeah. It, it just seems like, it seems like a ridiculous notion yet here we are. Um, oh, anyway, we were talking about the testing and, and I think what you're getting at here ultimately is that it's not always, it's not going to be the most reliable, at least until we get uh, more time behind the test to try them out. Uh, but it yeah. still seems it's better than nothing. Right. And, and you know, it, it, 
all that the validation and confirming that's what takes a long time but like you know i think we're in a uh, position where you got to suspend your scientific rigor a little bit and the who's kind of has done that um they've actually started this worldwide clinical trial where um you say you have a patient that has COVID-19 and they randomize them to get different um, uh, antiviral therapies. And under normal circumstances, everyone's double blind. So no one knows, even the treating physician doesn't know exactly what drug the patient's getting and the patient doesn't know if they're getting it. But at this point, they're like, you're getting, you know, drug combo A, you're getting drug combo B. You know, so even this, even the science is starting to relax a little bit. You know, they they mentioned the placebo effect. I'm like, if your lungs are failing, the drugs are either, yeah, the drugs are either going to work or not. I don't think, I don't think your lungs are going to work better because you think they're going to work better, especially if you're innovated and half awake yeah yeah i mean we're not talking about like some sort of subjective do you what's your pain scale one to ten you know this is like you can breathe or you can't right and you know it's interesting that they are bringing some um so that there's four there's four different um medications there's the the rem i got them written down the remdesivir which is an ebola drug and uh a combination of anti-malarials, that's another one, that's uh, uh, that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. And um, and then the um, some of the HIV med- medications, the protease inhibitors, um, that's uh, lopinavir and uh, retinavir. And, and then there's that combination plus an immune boot booster and um you know that and what these do they target different phases of the uh the viral replication cycle they target different points of it so the virus has to replicate and that's a i think from what you're saying then these that's like a multi-stage process like stage one it does this and then it builds on itself until it replicates again and these drugs somehow inhibit that replication process or slow it down is that, and I, I suppose that slowing it down might be good enough because then your own body has time to build its uh, immune system. Exactly. It, it, I, the way to look at it is you're trying to flatten the curve within your own body. Yeah. Right. So, and that's why the problem with retro, with um, antiviral therapy is you, you have to use it early and you have to catch it early because uh, once the viral load has reached a certain amount and the body's trying to uh, stop it it, it kind of gets out of hand. And, and so the problem with that is, and that's why with Tamiflu, you know, Tamiflu that you take for the flu, you have to really use it within the first, at the first hint that you think you may have the flu. And the problem with that is it has side effects. And um, so if you, and if you wait too long, it's really not going to do that. You know, the cat's already out of the bag. Now, now, what about this? There's a couple of things I want to ask you about. I mean, we're Jared, we're not going to let it go that these people, that this uh, guy died by eating the fishbowl cleaning, whatever that chemical was in his closet or, or her closet. I mean, we're going to get back to that, but because uh, I want to know what the heck that was. On the other hand, 
I also read an article that somebody was um, talking about using other people's plasma or blood or some sort of therapy like that where they're injecting that into somebody else. What's that about? So that is sort of uh, the poor man's shortcut to a vaccine. And this is a, and here is another reason why I feel like it all gets back to, we need to test more. We need to test more people. So those who have been exposed and recovered in their blood are a lot of antibodies against the coronavirus. And, and there's a, there's a, a protein spike on the surface. That's why they call it coronavirus, because it looks like the corona of the sun. Oh, okay. So you have all of these proteins that are, are projecting out of the surface of the, the virus. And that's actually what attaches to the receptors on the lung tissue. So it's like they a bird. Right. And that, that gives that specificity, right? If you have antibodies that go and stick to the those spikes, they can't bind to the surface receptors on the lung cells. And so it prevents infection. So the first step of infection is this protein spikes. And there's two different receptors on our lung uh, cells. It's transmembrane protein SS2 and the angiotensin converting enzyme 2. They're on the surface and they have, you know, a, a job to do physio- under normal physiology, but that is the, the target of um, the virus, the, those protein spikes. And so you can put something on our receptors to kind of block it, or you can have something that attacks the, um, those protein, those spikes that are on the surface of the virus. Yeah. So this makes me think like hunting, right? So I go out in the woods deer hunting and I walk through the briar patch and all these things come out and they're attached all over me. But if I have the right kind of clothing on that doesn't necessarily let those briars or those, uh, those birds stick to me, those big, everybody's seen them, uh, then, you know, I can walk right through there. And, and the, right. so if I'm wearing cotton or something like that, I'm, I'm covered by the end. But if I'm wearing right. uh, like a rain slicker or something, then they can't touch, they can't stick onto me. Right. And so these, these antibodies are sort of human-made um, chemicals that would stick to those uh, to those spikes and neut- sort of neutralize the virus, and then it just kind of dies off because it can't replicate. And they've actually so if you can identify patients that have had the virus and have cleared it, there's their blood has a, a lot of these antibodies in it, and so you take those you take blood from those patients process those antibodies and then inject them to people who are in a, um, uh, in, in, in a uh, severe, uh, you know, situation. And those antibodies go in and neutralize the viruses that are replicating in the patient. And that's called passive immunization. And that's been done in previous outbreaks, measles, polio, uh, even MERS and SARS. What's the downside? There's gotta be a downside. Otherwise we would just do it all the time. Logistics logistics you got to know who's had it yeah you know you got to draw blood you got to collect it you got to process the antibodies but as we get more um they call it convalescing convalescent plasma or convalescent serum the more people we can identify with that and they're they got to be willing to go in and donate their blood so it again it's it's logist it's logistically complicated 
yeah. but it's relatively safe. I mean, they screen it for HIV, hepatitis, all those other, and, and they, they isolate the antibodies and process them. So, and then just give the antibodies to the patients. Well, it seems like, you know, can we just take that, figure out what's in the antibodies and just make it? I mean, it, well, I know it's a dumb question, but it's like, it seems like we should be able to do that. Well, that's uh, another uh, option. And what you can do is uh, you can, and here we go with viruses again, and this is what recombinant genetics is. So if you have a, a, a protein like an antibody and you want to make massive amounts of it, you use viruses that inject uh, genetic material into bacteria, then the bacteria uh, uh, make it and grow it. The limitation with that is there's a lot of, it's called post-translational modification. So this is after you've made your proteins, there's modification that has to happen to change the shape and add a few other things to that when you mass produce it, you just can't, can't do it that well. Gotcha. So you almost, you need it to be from the organism that makes it because they're going to make the organism is going to make it and have it set up to work well. It's sort of like when they make aftermarket parts for my old muscle car. They never quite fit exactly the way they should. The stamps are worn out or something's, you know, it's never quite right. the same. Right. You need a that human or in this case, a, a life living intervention. And so, but, but kind of related to that is um, you can, and they're analyzing the, the structures on the virus, and most of it has to do with that protein spike, uh, but also the envelope. They're trying to figure out what part of the protein is the most immunogenic, what, what causes the greatest number of antibodies to be made against it. And you can reverse engineer those proteins. And, oh, then I got use you. That, yeah. and use that as the basis of your, your vaccine. So what is it in my body? So if I were going to take that, it, it would seem to me, can I just like take somebody's living blood and stick that in it outside my body? And will, will the blood create the, the, the stuff that fights it? Or is it, uh, I mean, what part of my human body creates what you're talking about? The, the, its own natural response to uh, kill this thing. So your, your immune cells, the T cells, the T cells attack, you know, cell to cell attacks. And when a T cell kills a, a cell that's been in, you know, the T cell can identify there's something going on in this cell. And usually it's, it's surface proteins from the virus after it goes in, it kind of stays on there. So the T cells go in and act and kill that cell. And that's what causes all the lung damage because you got all these infected cells and your body's T cells are going in there and killing them all, basically trying to stop them from replicating. The other side is the B cells. They're the ones that make all the antibodies. So they're, um, so when they interact with an infected cell, they figure out with, cause they have enough genetic, uh, plasticity, they figure out how to make the antibody that can neutralize or stick on to this foreign protein or foreign material. And that's what, and it takes a while to do. That's why 
you know, it takes about 10 to 14 days to, to get on top of a virus and, and clear it out. Cause that, you know, the body has to ramp up its production of antibodies. Gotcha. So you can't just take somebody's blood outside their body and, uh, and then let it go do that. No, but with passive immunity, you're, you're bypassing that ramp up and you're, what you're doing is you're buying time. You're going to use someone else's uh, antibodies yeah. to neutralize it, slow down the replication of the virus while your body is ramping up. Gotcha. So that, yeah. And it, it's really, it's really weird how <clears throat> the big population, you know, flatten the curve type talk also applies to each individual who gets it. It's just, it's like a race against time. And then I heard somebody talking about if you do think you have it or, or like if you think you've been infected or you're showing symptoms, they were saying, uh, I was reading this where they, it was like, don't give up, you know, still wash the crap out of your hands every 20 minutes, like more of that kind of stuff. Because uh, it, like even after you had it, you can make it worse by by uh, more exposure. And it didn't make sense to me. And I wanted to ask you that because there's so much nonsense flying around, flowing around. You yeah. just never know. To me, that would be more as a spread prevention. Yeah. 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 I don't. Yeah. Wash your hands more because you're sick. Right. right. You're sick and you don't want to get be, other people sick. touching things and, yeah. and, and that's what you'll hold off from. Yeah. Right. Personally, vitamin C, gargle with Clorox, bleach. Forget about my fish. They can die. I'm cleaning my system first. And look at me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Good to go. Well, you know, it's funny because they are like I've read somewhere. It's like vitamin C and uh, I guess part of the therapy. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of, um, I don't know what you call it, not alternative, but a lot of the supplement type. Holistic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the holistic stuff. And that, you know, the immune response uses up a lot of different because most vitamins are just coenzymes for your body and, and the immune system uses up a lot of, uh, a lot of enzymes. So it's just a good idea to, to stay on top of your, you know, your nutrition because you're going to be using a lot of vitamin C. and So all your takeout food, you know, you're going to, you're getting yeah. your McDonald's, your Taco Bell, uh, you're getting all the good stuff where the, the stuff that's chock full of nutrients. If you're eating primarily Taco Bell, I would throw in a multivitamin with it just to cover your bases. Just to be safe. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, what what was the – did you hear about the, the, the couple that decided to consume this chemical that was in their fishbowl or fish tank cleaner? I mean, what was that about? Because I know, I know President Trump was talking about – he's very encouraged right. by this stuff, and I think I heard – It I sounded like it. It's, it wasn't the same thing. It just kind of – the name sounded like what, what the – well, I forget what the medicine is. It's it's not for lupus. It's uh, it's chlor. It, it was chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which are anti-malarials, and so. And the reason why there's thought that that may work, in addition to just the, you know, the target meeting the receptor, this the cell kind of pulls the virus in once it's attached. It's called endocytosis, and chloroquine is an inhibitor for that process and that's how malaria malaria has to get inside cells too and that's why that was a good anti-malarial because it made it harder for the cells to pull in the malarial parasite and gotcha. that and those drugs are part of that big clinical global clinical trial that's going on 
But I think what happened is those folks just got, they're probably panicked and thought, hey, this will protect us. And, you know, the, the sad thing is those drugs are available. I mean, they, they give them to people when they travel to the, you know, in places around the equator where malaria, malaria is. So you they know, could have I, gone I, to the drugstore and bought, I mean, in theory, they could have gone and, and purchased some sort of something that you could take without killing you, I take it? Yeah. And I'm sure some of the other chemicals in that fish tank cleaner probably did the job also. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it just, uh, let me just say here, right on Lawyer Talk Live, uh, don't, don't, don't uh, eat fishbowl cleaner or no. any other cleaner thinking it's going to work or bleach. I mean, it works for Jared perhaps, but uh, this is. Uh, right. We are not really serious. Do not drink bleach. <laughs> right, right. Don't do it. Bleach don't do it. bad. That was, a, that was a joke. Yeah. I, I forgot there. I might influence people. Yeah. Don't do it. You've got the influence don't of President Trump. All right. Yes. So I had some other things I want to – you and I talked, I think, a little bit last time about this uh, mutation uh, concept. And, and the more I read about this – uh, the more confused I get because everybody's got a different theory at this point. Some people say, well, it's mutating like mad and, and it's, we're going to be back in the fall again with, with a whole different version we can't fight. Others are saying there's two strains like L and S. And um, i just uh, just curious if you got any insight into that. It is kind of controversial because there's a lot of conflicting reports out there. Um, so the flu, the influenza, so it has its own version of those protein spikes. And, and it is the virus, that virus is on purpose, genetically unstable. It changes its, its spikes every season. That's why we have to get a new flu shot every year. Gotcha. Because, you know, the epidemiologist say, all right, these are going to be the most common strains of influenza this flu season. And most of the time they get it right. Sometimes they don't. So that is inherently uh, a very unstable uh, feature of influenza. Coronavirus doesn't mutate uh, that often. You know, it doesn't, there's not like a new coronavirus strain every, see, you know, every flu season. And, um, and there is a chance that th there can be mutations and there's a lot, so, Anytime you're having nucleic acids replicate, there's always a chance for mutations. And a lot of them, they don't really change anything. They're just kind of there. They're silent mutations. In some cases, they actually hurt. Um, they can hurt the virus. They could make it less transmissible or, or less uh, virulent. Um, and right now, um, this one epidemiologist made a good point. She said, right now there's no selection pressure or evolutionary pressure for this virus to change much. It's spreading so efficiently. Yeah, it doesn't that, need to. Yeah, you know, so there might be two versions that that's still being well, they're debated. calling this SAR version two, aren't they? Right now, they 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 listed them both as a Corona, and yeah. uh, they got SARS as Corona one, and this is Corona two. It's like or a Corona. Well, the first one was like Corona seventeen. This is Corona nineteen, and and now they're calling it SARS two. Yeah, so S SARS from O three, and uh, that MERS, the Middle Eastern, um, and. 
I forgot the full name, MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. So MERS, SARS, and COVID-19, they're all coronaviruses. The COVID-19 is about 75% or maybe a little more uh, genetically identical to SARS. But the what, what we have used to combat SARS doesn't seem to work, or I guess not? No, it well, some of these uh, uh, antivirus therapies kind of came out of the MERS epidemic. But the MERS epidemic, so MERS and SARS just petered out on their own. Uh, I th- and I think part of that is, is that people got really sick, so they were isolated. Um, you know, the SARS death rate was like 9%. The MERS death rate was like 36%. So the majority of people got it, got really sick. They were quarantined. You know, if they made it through, that's great. Unfortunately, a lot died. So the need for an, uh, a vaccine um, and some of these uh, uh, drugs that did sort of work, there really wasn't a need for it after a while, after the uh, epidemic sort of petered out. So they're bringing these back. The, uh, the thought of using this remdesivir, which worked in, you know, had activity against Ebola, they're bringing that back because the Ebola the pandemic also kind of petered out again because the disease was so lethal, so dangerous. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it, that, that, that what makes this one uh, so destructive on humans is that it, it doesn't kill you so fast. You know, it's like it, it takes time and it, it just it, it really causes you some like a lot of uh, discomfort and a few people die. I don't mean to say that lightly, but percentage wise, most people can just have it and survive and then it gets to live too. That's exactly why this COVID-19 is a big major pain in the ass because it's not that dangerous because it's not that scary for the majority of the population. And then it just becomes a numbers game. So we just got to get, I mean, we just got to live through it. It sounds like, which is, which is. So do you believe China's numbers? I don't believe that China's told the truth. I don't think we have the most uh, 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 people. I, I would have to say that China has far beat us in the numbers, but they're liars. <laughs> it's, it is a little, you know, you look at that chart and you mm-hmm. see new, new cases and China has a billion people. And they've only had 67 new cases yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, that's when uh, I weighed 250 pounds in my uh, sophomore high school football program. Right. And you ran a four, two. And I ran the four, two. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. And well, and you know, and then, then that let them, I saw the, the reports that China was actually blaming us for the start of the virus or, and who knows what, exactly who's saying what or doing what, but I, I don't think this is really in dispute. Is it? No, and that's when, you know, Trump calling it the China virus is kind of petty. And on the other hand, China getting all bent out of shape about it is, you know, it's like, come on, you know, at this point, they just want us a bunch of money. Yeah. At this point, it's like, who gives a crap what it's called? Other other viruses have been called from where, where they originate. You know, you got West Nile virus. Yellow you fever. Spanish flu, you know. Yeah, the span, but they've started to change. The Spanish flu is now like the flu of 1922 or the 22 flu or whatever that is. 
So they, they don't, that's yeah. not even, you're not even allowed to say that anymore, at least not politically correctly. Yeah. It, you know, it, there's a virus out there at this point, you know, if you're, if you're shot at and there's a bullet flying at you, are you going to be worried about where the bullet was made, where that bullet originated or what or you're, you're going to worry it? about it tearing through your head? Right. Like, or, or even what you're going to call it. Right. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. That, that was a federal. No, yeah. no, yeah. Well, I didn't make that one. Oh, well, you're dead a second later. But right. uh, now it seems sort of stupid is that the, the politics got involved and we all saw, I'm not even going to go into this. We all saw what happened in, uh, in on the hills, so to speak in the last 10 days, all the nonsense back and forth. And, you know, it just is, you would like to think at some juncture, our political system could just say, can we just kill this freaking virus and be done with yeah. it and, and then help as many people as we can and then turn the economy back on. That's good for everybody. Let's just do that. And, and, and we can, then we can go fight later. Let's just time out. How many, de- if, if, if the economy crashes, are they going to count the deaths that are going to be attributed to that as well? Well, I, you know, that's, that is a great question because uh, you know, mortality rates for root, even root, routine medical things is probably going to go up because you know hospital beds are chock full of COVID-19 people so normally you have a heart attack they get you in in time and you know get you all souped up you know there's gonna be less resources for that it I think the the best way to measure it is look at the overall mortality rate non-COVID cause before during and after and see how, how did the COVID how did the COVID-19 pandemic affect just overall mortality rates? Yeah. It's going to be correlated. You you know, it's got to be correlated in some way. And then I'll bet you, I could take you a step farther and say, if we look back historically in times where, or even currently, what is the death rate of uh, a society where there is tough economic times versus one where there's prosperous economic times. And I would almost bet without any sort of research or reading that the more prosperity, the less death, uh, yeah. you know, just, we're going to survive better and do better things. We're going to be better nourished. We're going to have better healthcare systems. We're going to have, uh, you know, instead of ignoring awful symptoms, so you can go to work to make money, you're going to take some time and rest or whatever it would be. You know, it's like, there's, there's so many things that are going to go into this. So I, I think it's it's unfair to say to those who want to open up the economy and start moving as fast as you can that they don't care about the other side of it. And then it's, you know, the, the, the people that say, open it now. I don't care about people dying of of COVID or corona. Let's just let them die. I think that's, that's equally stupid. So there's got to be a balance somewhere. Yeah. It, I I feel like it's a, we just need more tests. We need more tests available. We, we need to know the extent. And like I said, you know, you start getting a good pool of people who have had it and survived through it, which should be 85% of the people who catch it. That's a big re- reservoir for passive immunity. Yep. You know? Yeah. I, w- I would, even though that I, uh, I tend to uh, pass out every time I give blood. I would still yeah. volunteer my blood. I would give it. I'd be the first one there. I'd have to sit down to give it, but I would, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I would volunteer my blood to anybody who wants it if I could tell that I had it right now and it would help them. Yeah, that's. Uh, now you had a chart you're going to show us uh, or go through. Is that uh, is that worth doing at this point? Do you, it, what was, it was like the well, creation it, of a virus. It just kind of goes through, um, you know, 
just the virus replication cycle. And, and this is true for any virus. And we've, we've sort of touched on it, but um, I, I think we're good. We got a good, I think we covered it sort of as we were talking about the immunity stuff or the, uh, yeah. the antibiotic stuff. Well, look, I mean, what's next? I mean, it feels like we are in a situation where it, I don't want to call it hopeless, but it's easy to get there. It's easy to say, man, nothing's changing except more stuff is shutting down. I, you know, more people are getting sick and there seems to be no timeline on this that, that offers an end. It's like, I remember, uh, running a half marathon or, mar- or trying to anyway. And it's just like, if you didn't know that that was going to end, it would be miserable. I mean, it would be just yeah. this awful, <laughs> you know, you just run until you die. It's sort of how I right. feel right now. The next few minutes, we've got uh, we got Governor DeWine's going to come back on. He's going to do his uh, two o'clock uh, Corona talk, and uh, he's got a lot of questions. Probably going to be answered about our the elections coming up here. You know, I don't know why they wouldn't push it to June. It doesn't uh, affect the Democrats' uh, role there. I don't know why that they have to do it, and and they're going through a mail-in process right now, which they've just opened up, and that's a whole nother show or another can of worms, um, because. <laughs> You know, if you have to download this information and then put it in an envelope and mail it in, uh, isn't that stamp a poll tax? Isn't that unconstitutional? Yeah, that you're you're getting. It, it, so what would have to happen is the government would have to fund it. It'd be a prepaid postage deal, I'd guess. And uh, which you know, if you're not voting in the primary, then you might have your panties in a bunch about that too. So you don't care about the primary, and now you're going to give uh, you're going to give out your tax dollars so people can vote. Uh, it, it's it, a couple of things have amazed me about this. The first thing that's amazed me really is a good thing. It's like how much that I can operate remotely and still do it somewhat effectively. Now, I can't say that it's just as good as meeting with somebody in my office. I can't say that it's just as good as that eye contact that you get. But here we are. We're doing lawyer talk and, you know, we're all remote, far away. Well, it, and, it can be confusing because I, I got a text from you and I just thought you wanted to meet or talk. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that I was tuning into a show, to be honest with you. Yeah, and know. that's why I was kind of like, oh, I think this is going on here this is a, a show right the show so, must go I was on. able to jump in you know and you know i did a court appearance doc uh by zoom like well, how we're looking at it. see we're recording this we're taking the audio from this and we're going to put it on our podcast but we're also looking at each other on our screens and you know we can see each other and, and have eye contact in that way anyway but i actually did a court appearance with a client and uh we we appeared remotely and, uh, and it worked. And I thought to myself, you know, this will ever, this will forever change a lot of stuff, I think. I mean, if it can save me an hour drive to go do a 10-minute procedural matter in a courtroom and all I have to do is zoom on in through the uh, internet, yeah. Uh, then why, why the heck aren't we doing it anyway? And maybe this, you know, there's always some good that comes out of all the, all the uh, adversity. I, I think, I think it, it's, it'll uh, fine-tune our technology. I think it's going to uh, coordinate a lot of the biotechnology that's been kind of popping up independently in silos. Because looking at what the WHO and the FDA and just coordinating all of these different ideas and efforts into a goal, I, I think that's going to drive the biotech field. Yeah. Um, and from a regulatory standpoint, we're kind of seeing what's what's unnecessary, what's just red tape. You know, if we don't need it now, do we do we need it all the time? That yeah, I, I mean, you, you know, my answer is no. Yeah, 
No, we don't. We don't need it at all. I mean, look, I I, I guess I always wonder, I mean, what I've said and people heard me say it a hundred times, like if you're a politician and you have to address something like this, then you really, you're motivated whether you will admit it, whether you know it or or maybe both. Uh, you're motivated by some sort of power structure. In other words, and, and by that, I don't necessarily mean a negative thing. You want to get reelected. You want to do your job effectively, right. and, and that is to make sure that the people who voted for you are are satisfied and happy with what you've done. So if you do nothing and uh, it turns out to be a catastrophe, you get blamed. If you do nothing uh, and it turns out to be nothing, then, well, you win, but that's a big gamble. So your real choice is you have to do as much as possible, and and then you you can either say, I did everything I could, or you can take full credit for uh, alleviating the problem, and I, I think you know if you're a, if you're a private biotech firm and and you're just people said, look, you got a contract to produce this, go do it, uh, and it just sort of eliminates all the nonsense, right? I mean, it, it basically gets rid of that power structure and it turns it into a contractual financial obligation, which people would argue with, but at least it's clean. You know what it is, right? But I wanted to ask you, premised on that, Doc, it's like, what is the downside? Like, you were in the medical field for a lot of years. I mean, why? what is the downside of the private sector doing stuff? There's got to be one. I mean, other than people don't like me. Well, it's it, it's risk aversion. And I think that's why um, you need to be able to alter it based on the situation. So... Um, I'm trying to remember uh, there had, you know, there are, there are cases where therapies were made available. They weren't fully tested and there's a very bad outcome. Yep. And you're trying to eliminate that. Uh, But on the other hand, you don't want to limit it so much that you have to assume there's a certain risk and try to move forward. You don't want to be crippled by, there might be, you know, a, a bad outcome. And I think when you have a setting like a pandemic where the bad outcomes, like it can't get any worse. Yeah. You know, I think that's where you, you can pull your f- foot off the brakes and, and seeing large uh, entities like the WHO and the FDA and, you know, the National Camp- Comprehensive Cancer Network, a lot of their centers, since there's so much, immunology and immunity issues with cancer, you know, they're starting to participate as well. Um, And I think there just has to be a a flexibility in how much you're going to regulate something. Well, maybe, you know, a coordinated effort is what you're talking about. It's like use the private sector when you need it fast and, and, and understand what you're doing and, and sort of appreciate the risks and, and, but don't necessarily eliminate either one. Right. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the answer. Yeah. And a lot of biotechs do work with uh, university settings as well. And I think this is going to solidify that, that, uh, interaction. Yep. Well, um, I, you know, again, most helpful, I think, uh, to hear this stuff. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by it. And, and may, you know, I hope everybody else who's listening is also uh, getting something out of this because I read so much and I try to understand so much online and I get all these different things. And then you get a lot of, yeah, but so-and-so said that. And yeah, but so-and-so said that. Right. And, um, you know, not that we here at Lawyer Talk aren't susceptible to the same kind of thing, but it, it, it's, it's helpful to have a scientific approach to it. 
uh, or uh, at least an attitude towards it so we can understand exactly what they're talking about when they're talking about an antibody and what it's doing and, and you know, the, uh, and I've already forgotten what you said, the, when I share my blood, what was that called? Oh, passive immunity. Passive immunity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, fascinating stuff. And it sounds like uh, there's a lot of promise out there, but the numbers are still going to mount and we are still going to have a, a war on our hands. So um, maybe next week it is Friday, in fact. So maybe next week we'll regroup again and see where we stand on Monday or Tuesday and maybe do another little quick one and uh, and give everybody an ongoing update. And then, of course, on Lawyer Talk, we got lots of other stuff happening. You know, we do the Wednesday Blitz edition now. So anybody who has listened to me on the radio for the last 10 years or so, I answer uh, free phone-in calls on the Blitz 99.7 with Loper and Randy. And now we're doing that on Lawyer Talk. We're combining the two. Why? Because we have to. We are doing it remotely. And then why not hit record and then play it back? So, uh, And then Jared and I and whoever else joins us or who can join us, we're giving some commentary and some more in-depth. You're, you're able to go a little farther into their questions is what you're able to do. You're only given so much time on the radio. Yeah. Sometimes these questions need a little bit more in-depth you know, to go over. So you're able to take the questions that you've received, the answers that you've given and go on further and uh, maybe get to hear my opinion. And maybe you get, you get to hear Jared. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and what happens is, you know, you call in. I mean, so those who have not heard that segment on the Blitz, you know, it's easy just on Wednesdays around but sometime between 8.15 and 9 usually. Uh, we just take phone-in calls. Now it's happening from the Studio C here at 511, then Jerry and I are providing commentary afterwards. So you don't even have to hear it live. You can just tune in right here. But if you do want to hear it live and you've got questions beyond those, uh, go ahead and submit your comments. It's simple. Go to channel511.com. Uh, we've got lots of uh, – it's self-explanatory. You'll figure it all out. So anyway, uh, this has been another riveting COVID-19 uh, edition fireside chat with Dr. Pulaski, Jared, Steve here on Lawyer Talk, off the record, on the air, at least until now.